0: Before we begin, let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we pray that only your word be spoken, only your word heard, and only your word lived. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Amen. The Christian hope is a story told by a species that cannot bear very much reality. And that's a quote by Tom Holland, and he's the author of this excellent book called Dominion, uh, How the Christian Revolution Remade the World. I've got another copy here that's also subtitled The Making of the Western Mind. Uh, and this book is uh, actually it's really fantastic. I read it uh, last year, I believe, and it gives uh, a history of the Christian faith. Um, it highlights uh, the, well, it's very honest, the the evils that have been done in the name of the Christian faith in the name of Jesus. And it also highlights uh, the beauty and the good that Christianity has brought. And um, it's making a, a defense of how uh, Christianity is a source of some of the the dearest values that we hold, especially values like uh, human rights. And what's interesting as you read it is he makes an excellent case in his book and you, you read the whole, you read it and you think, my goodness, why isn't Tom Holland a Christian? Because, of course, he's not. He's an a English a historian, and he makes such a per- persuasive case for Christianity in the book, but he doesn't identify as a Christian. And at the very last chapter, he talks about, well, why he doesn't follow Jesus. And he gives this uh, uh, heartbreaking story of uh, his godmother, who um, was a big part of his life and Um, loved him so well, and doted on him, and did her best to raise him in the Christian faith. Of course, uh, it didn't take. And he relates um, this part of his life where um, his godmother had suffered a stroke, and she's in the hospital, and they both know that she's dying. And he has what ends up being a final conversation with her, and she... uh, Comforts him, and she tells him, um, um, "Everything's going to be okay. Uh, I'm going to be resurrected to a new life. I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm not worried." And she shares with him uh, her hope and Jesus. And after he writes that, he shares that story. Tom Holland writes, "You know, the Christian hope is a story told by a species, as I know from my own personal experience." That cannot bear very much reality. That's how he responds to his godmother's hope. And when I read that, I was so struck because here's a person who knows so deeply uh, the Christian story. He's researched it so much, he has all of this knowledge, and yet he misses Jesus, right? He sees Jesus, but he also doesn't see Jesus. And I'm sharing that with you this morning because that could be us, right? Today we heard uh, the gospel reading. We uh, heard and we see the transfiguration. And we could, you know, as we're hearing it, we're reading it, we're processing it, we could take it as knowledge so we could see Jesus, but we could also miss him. And the truth, and here's the, here's the truth. And I want to get to it to really early, because it's Transfiguration Sunday, and so we got it. What is the Transfiguration like? What does it mean? Well, the Transfiguration means that Jesus is God's unique revelation to humanity, right? Jesus, in other words, is the only way to God. And I just want you to like look at the difference of what we heard today, in the Old Testament reading, uh, we heard uh, when Moses, you know, when he beheld the presence of God. Right. He comes down and he has his light and he gives off this light, but it's a reflective light. Right. He isn't actually the source. And eventually it fades. But the light of Jesus isn't reflected. He emanates light and he emanates it because he is the light. He is the glory of God. Jesus is God made man come to us in love. Right. And so in the Transfiguration story, there he is. Uh, and next to him are Bible hall of Famers, Moses and Elijah. And yet, as we hear that uh, passage, we have to notice the uniqueness and superiority of Jesus, right? Like when Peter sees what's happening, he, he's got a groggy, he not really he doesn't really get it. And so he says, "You know what, let's make these three huts, right? And let's make these three huts, Jesus, and let's contain you know let's contain the three greatest sages in history, you know, Moses, Elijah jesus but jesus isn't just another sage and he won't be reduced to that category you know and god comes down in a cloud and he explains what's actually happening and as the cloud comes down the disciples well they're terrified verse 34 while he was speaking a cloud appeared and covered them and they were afraid as he entered the cloud You might think, well, yeah, I mean, anyone on a mountain seeing this happen might be afraid. And that's fair, but it's deeper than that. See, the disciples know what happens when God appears. They know that when God shows up, it's lethal. Right? I mean, even Moses, he couldn't see God. If you saw God, he would die. He asked God one time, hey, can I see you? And God says, Exodus 33, 20, no, you can't see me. If you see me, it's death for you. But the disciples saw Jesus, the perfect image of God, perfectly showing God's very being. And they didn't die. And here's the point. In Jesus, and only in Jesus, can we come before God and not not only not die, but actually become God's family, experience his delight and his love. That's what Tom Holland's godmother understood, her deep comfort in the face of incredible suffering. And it's what Tom Holland, who wrote this like, magisterial book, it's a wonderful book, about the Christian faith. It's what he's blind to. You know, it's possible to know the Christian story intellectually, to know Jesus intellectually, and yet not get it. And I want, I need you all to let that sink in, right? Because honestly, it could be you. It's not careful. It could be me. I remember hearing this story a while back about uh, J.R.L. Tolkien, that famous author of The Lord of the Rings. And he had a friend who uh, was a pilot in the war and later um, went on to school uh, academia to study, well, to study Christian history, study the Bible, um, he wouldn't have been identified as a, as a Christian in the sense that, you know, Christ was his uh, source of being and he was really passionate for Jesus. You know, he went to church on Sundays, and, you know, the done thing at that time. Um, but then one day he, w- I mean, he would say he came to faith. He suddenly came to trust Jesus Christ and he was really you know, on fire for Jesus. And then he started you know, talking to his friend Tolkien. And was like, how is it that I, only now am I getting, uh, hearing about this? How is it only now am I um, meeting Jesus for the first time? And Tolkien said to him, well, now that you um, are following Jesus, go back to to your old studies, the old uh, writings that you read. Go back to Martin Luther and just read it. And so his friend goes and reads Martin Luther again. And suddenly, it's like reading it for the first time. Page after page, there's the gospel. There's the love of Jesus. Gospel, gospel, over and over again in Martin Luther's writings. Because, of course, it's there. But he read it when he was going to school, professionally, academically. But he missed it. He didn't see it. How does that even happen? Well, St. Paul points out in our Corinthians passage that if you don't trust Jesus, then in a real sense, you're willing to have, uh, you're willing yourself to have a veil of ignorance put over your mind. That veil that Moses wore to contain, you know, the, the light, the glory of reflecting his face, Paul says it becomes a veil of the mind that blinds us to the truth of Jesus, and you end up hardened, repeating some dogma that reflects, that deflects, sorry, the reality and truth of Jesus. You know, in the the New Testament passage we read, Paul, St. Paul, is cautioning the Corinthian church against uh, following uh, other people that are insisting on reading the Law of Moses without reference to Jesus, right? That's the issue. That's That's the blinder. Because if you read the, the Mosaic law without reference to Jesus, well, then you're veiling yourself from the truth. You're blinding yourself. All right, that's the Corinthian context. In today's time, today's age, uh, I don't think it's the Mosaic law that blinds us. I don't get the sense that anyone, even in our churches, are walking around thinking, oh, man, we've got to read Moses' law, but don't put Jesus. I don't think that's how it is today. It's a different pressure that leads us to that same dead end. You know, i've been um I've been reading uh, this book titled "Whose Religion Is Christianity: A Gospel Beyond the West?" And it's by an author named Laman Sane, and he is a Gambian scholar, and he was a professor at the University of Ghana, University of Aberdeen, Harvard. Most recently, he was professor of Divinity at Yale. And he writes from a Gambian perspective. he's writing from a a, a wider African perspective. And he writes in this book, and he's sort of um, interacting or wanting to evaluate our our modern Western perspective, especially the Christian ones. And he makes this, uh, I think, key observation. He says that our point of view, our ideology, sets the boundaries of what gives you hope. And this is what he says. I'm going to read this quote. Ideologies do not just fade away to indulge a world open to new experiences and wider sympathies. Ideologies are mental canopies that set the horizons of what is acceptable in the world of ideas and values, and that do not allow circumstances to question their own value. In other words, as he goes on to explain, our modern Western understanding claims to be open minded, right? We're open minded about things. All religions and all philosophies are basically okay as long as you don't hurt anyone, right? Like that's the most classic modern mantra. And it sounds open. But Sane is right. It's actually another canopy that sets the horizon on what's believable. It sets these boundaries, and in our modern Western moment, it means that the hope shown to us in the Transfiguration in Jesus is out. Tom Holland proves that Laman Sani is right. I mean, when you read the book, he gives uh, he offers a narrative, a story of how he lost his faith. Right, and he says as he got older, it just didn't make sense to him that. Millions of years of history are somehow explained by what happened 2,000 years ago in the death of Jesus. It doesn't connect to him. This is what he says I quote, the reaches of time seem too icily immense for the life and death of a single human being 2,000 years ago, possibly to have had the cosmic significance claimed for it by Christianity. And I mean, he has other questions, you know, like why, the Old Testament, why do these people have to be destroyed? Or, why is it that some species fail in this world, right? Like dinosaurs, they just live and then die. It doesn't make sense to him. And then he goes on to say, I quote, the hope offered by the Christian story that there was an order and a purpose to humanity's existence felt like something that had forever slipped my grasp. The more the universe seems comprehensible, as the physicist Steven Weinberg famously put it, the more it also seems pointless. Remember last time that we were talking, uh, I shared with you that secular culture, at its logical end, is nihilistic. And there you go, Tom Holland is proving that he says it very clearly. The more I know, the more it all seems pointless. And what's interesting is I reflected my own experience from people that I've known that um, have lost their faith, even dear friends that brought me to Jesus when I wasn't a Christian. Uh, They all have a similar a similar story. They say that they're simply following the dictates of reason and rationality, right? They're just being reasonable, they just being rational. And, you know, Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor calls this, this little narrative, he calls it the subtraction story. So this is the subtraction story. The secular outlook is what remains after science and reason subtract formal belief in the supernatural, right? Now, uh, a commentator on this idea, uh, his name is Talal Assad, and he's a professor of anthropology at uh, the City University of New York uh, Graduate Center. He's a, he focuses on uh, religiosity, Mid- Middle Eastern studies, post-colonialism, uh, notions of power and law and discipline. And very interestingly, he's working on an anthropology of secularism. And so Talal Assad, as a cultural anthropologist, points out that modern folks who lose their faith are actually... Are actually shedding one narrative, right? A narrative with insiders and outsiders, uh, heroes and heretics, and unprovable assumptions about reality. They're shedding that narrative for another narrative with insiders and outsiders, heroes and heretics, and unprovable assumptions. Assad, Assad calls this whole process, quote, going from the jungle of darkness into the light. That's how modern people see it. And this is the plot line the hero has the courage to think for himself or herself, himself or herself, right? And this is the modern Western myth. But what Saudi-born Talal Assad, Canadian Charles Taylor, and Gambian Laman Sane point out is that you don't actually leave the jungle for the light. You leave the jungle for apathetic, hopeless paralysis. Because what we're actually left with is a paralyzing cultural materialism. That's what actually reigns in our world. You know, Laman Sane says that uh, our culture, our Western culture of materialism, leaves us paralyzed, unable to address the important questions of human existence that arise in our hearts, right? He says, and I quote, a cultural system of ethics, images, music, literature, as well as science and technology has reduced the mystery of God to a cultural filibuster. He says in terms of the modern Western perspective, truth cannot be known with certainty, and one can be certain about that, and about the related confident cultural relativism that postpones indefinitely questions of finality. So our, our natural way of seeing things is relativism. You know, all ways are true. Therefore, my personal choices of God and faith and destiny must also be true. So, I'll just make enough money to live comfortably and I'll believe whatever is currently fashionable that doesn't get me fired, right? You know, G.K. Chesterton is right. He says, materialism makes citizens as such merely passive. Irreligion is the opium of the people. So here we are, modern people, modern Christians, witnessing the transfiguration of the Lord. And the question is, are we seeing it? Or are we allowing a veil of ignorance to be placed over our minds? You know, in our modern condition, we, we end up feeling queasy about believing in miracles because we feel they're unprovable. And we're trying to be, like, rational. But as Tom Holland points out, we insist on believing in human rights, even though they're equally unprovable. They're simply asserted. We can't prove them. At least definitely not in a secular worldview. The best way is going to be Christianity. And Tom Holland knows that. He says, without the biblical story that God created humanity in its own image to draw upon, the reverence for humanists for their own species is mawkish and shallow. What basis, other than sentimentality, is there to argue for it? The modern idea that values can be translated into facts that can be rationally understood is a fantasy. You know, in this wonderful book, Tom Holland shows how humanistic values are basically, I mean, you're basically a Christian. If you believe in human rights, you're identifying, you're acting like a Christian, but without the self-awareness or integrity to admit it. But again, the, the interesting, and well, not even interesting, the sad part is that Tom Holland sees where his vision of human life leads him. But as much as he critiques the modern Western aversion to Christianity, he is caught in the same trap. The veil is also over his mind. I mean, you can know all the data, all the information on Jesus and miss out on the hope. Right? You can see it all and you can remain blind. You will, and when you're blind, you're gonna willfully distrust the Bible, you're gonna distrust prayer, you know, you're not gonna be moved to worship and praise. You're just gonna miss Jesus. It's it's not understanding that leads to faith. The maxim is faith. Seeking understanding. You know, St. Augustine gets it right. We have to attend to the voice of God booming in the cloud. I mean, remember the transfiguration? Peter, I mean, he, he misses the point about the huts and Moses and Elijah are there. And then God speaks, This is my son, right? Jesus, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. You know, when the cloud leaves, Moses and Elijah. Well, they're gone, too, because only Jesus can bring you to God. You know, in the Old Testament, when the presence of God would come as a cloud above the tabernacle, uh, the smoke, the presence of God was so much that even Moses couldn't enter into the tabernacle. But on this mountain, Jesus remains because Jesus stands in the presence of God because he is God. And Jesus is the one that we need. You know, Jesus is the answer to every human question about, uh, meaning and purpose. And I know it sounds trite, but okay. Yeah, maybe, but it's true. Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. St. Augustine said that, right? Our hearts are in disquiet until they rest in you. And so if you are experiencing a restlessness, a disquiet of the heart, if you're experiencing dissatisfaction in your life, it may be a sign of a need for God that you aren't recognizing as such. You know, the veil of this world easily blinds you to the hope in Jesus. And honestly, we all need a way out. Our gospel reading, verse 31, it says, They, meaning Moses, Jesus, Elijah, spoke about his departure, which he, was about, which he Jesus, was about to bring to fulfillment, At Jerusalem, they spoke about his departure. The word "departure" in the what we're translating to English is actually the Greek word "exodus." Well, now even hearing that word, you must see the significance. What Jesus brought to fulfillment in Jerusalem was the death of sin, right? Because on the cross, Jesus paid the price for sin. He provided a way to bring our brokenness before God and not. In such a way that we're not destroyed, but we're actually lovingly embraced and healed and loved. That's why the disciples, uh, when they're in the mountain, when the cloud comes down, that's why they don't die. Because Jesus died for them in their place. And he's done the same for you. Jesus is rescuing us from the blindness, the slavery, the dead end of our current ways of existing. You know, the the faux freedom of late-stage capitalism, the, the empty comfort of modern Western materialism. He's rescuing us from the paralyzing conceit of religious relativism that just leads to apathy. In his death, Jesus brings us life. Will you choose to see the unique glory of Jesus? Will you choose to trust it? all right, maybe you want to. And you got to be wondering, okay, how do I do it? Right? What's the secret? Notice that when they were on the mountain, Jesus was praying when he was transfigured. I know that deep down often we want some mystical, some secret technique that will reveal to us the divine. But you know what? The way to experience the love and hope that trusting brings is as simple as prayer. Just an honest time spent with the Lord. So I'm inviting you. Let's commit and or recommit to regular prayer. Join us for the prayer vigil. We're having one on March 2nd. Sign up for one of the hours. There's um, a one-hour prayer guide we're offering. You know, break down the hour in five-minute increments. It's actually quite accessible. Join us for that. We have book studies exploring the Christian faith in a secular age. It's on our newsletters on our websites. You can join us for that. We have Alpha coming in the spring, exploring the essentials of the Christian faith. Join us for that. There's so many opportunities. Don't sleep on this. You know, as that wonderful mystic and lover of nature and lover of the environment, uh, Francis de Sisi once wrote, You have, about God, you have created all things spiritual and corporal. And having made us in your own image and likeness, you placed us in paradise. And through our own fault, we have fallen. And we thank you for as through your son, you created us. So also through your holy love with which you loved us, you brought about his birth as true God and true human. And you willed to redeem us captives captives through his cross and blood and death. The transfiguration shows us that only Jesus is the hope of the world for only he willed to redeem us captives through his cross and blood and death. Don't don't choose to be blinded to this beautiful truth. Trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that in the midst of our loneliness and our brokenness, you have not let us alone, but you have come to us in the person of Jesus To be with us, to love us, to die for us, so that we may have uh, your loving embrace, your life, forever and even today. Help us to believe this. Help us to trust this. Remove whatever is blinding us in our life, that we may come to you with integrity and faith. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Amen.